Today we continue our study from 1 Peter. When we came to the first message, the focus was on hope. Peter was writing to Christians who were suffering because of their commitment to the Lord, and so he wanted to encourage them. Last week, as we continued our study, the focus was on holiness. And Peter is saying that as a follower of Christ, it is expected that we are holy, which means different. That we are different from the way we were before we became believers, and we are different from those who are not believers. Now, as we continue today, the focus is on harmony or unity within the body of Christ. And the Bible speaks often of the unity that is expected by God. It uses many comparisons. For instance, it says that we are family. That God is our Father, and if God is our Father, then we are His children. That means that we are brothers and sisters. Therefore, there is to be unity within the family. He says that we are a part of the kingdom, and in this kingdom there is a ruler, and His name is Jesus, and we are to be obedient to the ruler. He says that we are a body. There are many parts to the body, but there is one body. And so the Bible oftentimes speaks and emphasizes the unity that God expects from His people. So today we look at Christian unity. Take your Bibles, turn with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 22, where we left off last week. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. In these verses, Peter gives us grounds, four grounds for our unity. He says, first of all, that there is to be unity 
because we all, as believers, are part of the family of God. This morning in my devotion time, I happened to come to Genesis, I believe it was chapter 13, and it was uh, about Abraham and Lot on their journey. And the Bible says that God had prospered them, and so as a result of it, there was more prosperity than there was land for the sheep and the goats and so forth. And so there arose this division between Lot and Abraham and his herdsmen and his herdsmen. And so there was this disagreement that was going on. And Abraham said, now, we cannot have disagreement because we are brothers, because we are all part of the family. So one of the reasons we are to have unity as the people of God is because we are all part of the family and we have a shared heritage. In chapter 1, verse number 23, he says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. You see, we inherit certain traits because of our birth. We know that is true from our biological family. We inherit certain traits from our family. My wife says that my brothers and I walk alike. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure I want to know what that means. But we inherit these traits from our family. And one of the traits that we inherit inherit as a result of being physical is that we have inherited a body that is deteriorating. Our physical body is deteriorating. We get old. Our hair turns gray. I have wrinkles in our face. And our teeth fall out. And we, we don't get around as good as we once did. In fact, I, I heard a couple of the older guys in our church, volunteers down at the church, one of them was talking to another, and he said, I'm retired. He said, you are. He said, yes, I was tired yesterday. I'm tired again today. So we get older, I and mean, that's a part of our inheritance. We, as, as, as physical beings, we are getting older. I, I went to a restaurant the other night, and the waitress came out and was standing there, and, and, and I gave my order, and she looked at me for a little bit, and she said, Would you mind paying up front? Now, I don't think I look quite that bad. But as we get, as we get older, our bodies deteriorate. Now, look at the description he gives in chapter 1, verse number 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. And some of you would say, man, I tell you, the flower has definitely fallen off. But we get, that's a part of it. As we get older, then our bodies deteriorate. So we have certain things we have inherited as a result of being physical, but he says that we also have a spiritual family. And he says in this heritage, our heritage is imperishable. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, then we know that our physical bodies are going to die, but that's not the end. The Bible says that our physical bodies perish, but our spirit simply goes home to be with the Lord. Because we have inherited an eternal nature as a result of knowing Jesus Christ. So, one of the reasons that we are united, that there is to be unity, is because we have a shared heritage. We're members of the same family. And then he says, and we have a sincere love of each other. Chapter 1, verse 22. 
since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you are Christian, we belong to the same family, and the Bible says that we are to love each other. Now, the word love is used twice in this verse, and it's two different words. When he says a sincere love, the word that is used there is Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. It's the love that we have for each other's brothers and sisters. The second word, fervently love, is agape, which means a, uh, a love that is unconditional. So he is saying then that the love we have for each other's brothers and sisters in Christ is a natural love. It's Philadelphia. We love each other because we're brothers and sisters. And then it is a supernatural love. It is a love that God gives to us. It is unconditional. Gary Chapman wrote about the five love languages. He says that there are five different ways that we express our love. And we need to know what those ways of expression are so that we're speaking the same language. He says, first of all, there are words of affirmation. There are some people who express love through words. They affirm us. We love to be around these people because they are always encouraging us. I'm, I was reminded of, uh, of Mr. and Mrs. Sharp. And I love to be around them because they always had some. I, I don't think I ever heard them say anything negative. It was just always a positive, encouraging expression. That's words of affirmation. That is an expression of love. And then there are acts of service. Some people express love through words. Some people express love through deed. Now, Linda says that that is one of my love languages because words don't mean much to me. It's what a person does that means something to me. And so... This person is always doing something as an expression of love. So, because Linda says that's my love language, then she tries to express her love that way. You know, she washes my car, she shines my shoes, she, she keeps my golf clubs clean, things like that. Or at least that's a suggestion. I'll know you really love me then. So there, there are acts of service. And then there's quality time, he says. And that is spending time together. You know what's really exciting to me right now at First Baptist Church? I see so many of you spending time together. Our young married adults go out to eat together all the time. Thursday night, the senior adults are having a fish fry. Friday night, the deacons are getting... I mean, all, we're going to weigh a ton when this... But spending time with each other. You see, that is the way that, that, we exp that some people express love, and that is so encouraging to me as I see you spending time with each other. Quality time. And then the giving of gifts. Now, that is Linda's love language. Uh, she's doing her part for the economy. But, see, gifts don't mean much to me. But they mean something to her, whether she is receiving or whether she is giving, because to her, that is an expression of love. Now, that's the reason that sometimes someone will admire something that she has, and she'll end up giving it to that person, because for her, that is saying, I love you. That is a way that she expresses love. That is one of the love languages. And then physical touch, that's my family. My family on my father's side were touchy people. We just hugged everybody and loved everybody. Made my wife very uncomfortable when she came into our family because she, that's not one of her love languages, but it, it is my family. And, and so we love each other because we 
our brothers and sisters, Philadelphia and Agape. And then there's the shared heritage, there's a sincere love, and there's nourishing food that causes us to have unity. Now, he talks about some junk food there in chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and uh, all slander. Now, this food, ladies and gentlemen, does not build unity. These things that are mentioned here build disunity, not unity. He mentions malice. That means vicious, a desire to hurt. And there are some people who seem to feast on malice because they're always hurting someone. And then he mentions guile. The word guile means deceit. It means trickery. A few years ago, there was an evangelist in Southern Baptist life who had a tremendous testimony. He said that his mother was going to abort him, but through a series of events, she did not abort him. And uh, he would say, when I see my mother in heaven, I'm going to say, oh, mama, thank you for not aborting me and so forth. He, he told about growing up, living under a bridge and all of that. He sold a lot of testimonies. Found out later that it wasn't true. I mean, none of it was true. Uh, that's trickery. That is deceit. That is what he is speaking of, your guile. And then hypocrisy. Now, the hypocrite is someone who attempts to cover up their evil intent, usually with religiosity. So the hypocrite, then, is someone who might have a mean heart, a mean spirit, an evil way, but then they couch it in religion. You know, I mean, they say mean things to you and say, well, bless God. You know, I mean, it's supposed to make it all right. Well, that was the Pharisees. And Jesus said, now, you look religious on the outside. He says, but inside your hearts are not right. Hypocrisy. Envy. W.E. Vines said, envy is the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. This is an interesting thing because it, it speaks of someone who does not want you to have the blessings of God. It's not that they want them. They just don't want you to have them. It's that they don't want you to have that promotion. They don't want you to have that good grade. They don't want you to have that relationship. Not that they want them. They just don't want you to have them. That's envy. And then slander. That is the criticizing other people. So this is all junk food that he's talking about. He's not don't eat this. Because if you eat this, it's not going to produce unity. But look what he says in chapter 2, verse number 2. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know what nourishes unity? Getting into the Word of God. You have a, a, family, a, a family of faith, the people of God who take seriously the Word of God, and they get into the Word of God to learn and to do what it says then you have a congregation of people who are united because the Word of God produces unity within our hearts. So, the first grounds is unity of family. We're all members of the same family. And so there is a shared heritage, there is sincere love, and there's nourishing food. And then there is to be unity because of the church's structure. 
the, the, the structure of the church should produce unity. Now, he says, Christ is the living stone in chapter 2, verse number 4. And coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You see, Jesus is the foundation on which we build, and he is the source of unity. And so the Bible says of him that he is the living stone. Jesus Christ is alive, though he was crucified on Calvary and he was buried He rose from the dead, and so he is alive today. He is the living stone. He says he's the chosen stone. God promised way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, that he was going to send a Messiah, someone to save us from our sins. And Jesus was the one who was chosen, the chosen Messiah. He is the chosen stone. He's the precious stone in chapter 2, verse number 6. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. He's a precious stone. Do you ever think about Jesus and the way the Bible describes him? He's the fairest of ten thousand, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the rose of Sharon, the precious stone. That's Jesus. He is the precious stone of God. He is the cornerstone in chapter 2, verse 7. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. The dictionary defines cornerstone as a stone which lies at the corner of two walls and serves to unite them. Specifically, a stone built into a corner of the foundation of an important edifice as the actual or nominal starting point in the building. Jesus is the cornerstone that takes us and brings us together, unites us. I'm grateful for all kinds of churches that preach the gospel. But some years ago... I became concerned that we were just targeting, you know, the idea was that you target people just like you. And that's the thing that brings us together, that we target people who are just like us. And then I began to look at the disciples. Folks, I don't know if you've ever done a study on the disciples, but they were very different. They were different politically. They were different financially. They were very different, but it was Jesus who reached out and brought them together because he is the cornerstone who unites us. So Jesus then is the living stone, and then it says that Christians are living stones. Chapter 2, verse number 5, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones. What does that mean? Last year, when we were in Israel, we went to the uh, Scripture Garden. The Scripture Garden is a place that teaches the Word of God through displays that it has. It has a, a, a lot of things there, and so you learn about the wine press. You learn about a lot of things like that, or the olive press. You learn about a lot of things like that. Well, we were going through there. We came to one station, and there was a big pile of rocks just randomly there. And then there was an archway that had been constructed out of stones. And the guide said, the stones that are in the archway are called living stones because they have a purpose. 
Those that are just laying there doing nothing, have no purpose, those are not living stones. A living stone is one that has a purpose. So he says, as living stones, we make up the house of God. Now, he did not say that we were living bricks. He said we are living stones. There's a difference between bricks and stones. Stones are different. They're different in size, shape, color. They are different. Folks, we're different. That's the way the Lord did it. We are different in our personalities. We are different in our spiritual gifts. We are different. We are not alike. And certainly that's true with First Baptist. We differ educationally, economically. We differ socially. We are different. But here's the thing. He says that Jesus, the master builder, he takes these stones and he brings them together to build his church that has the purpose of sharing the gospel. I don't know. That blesses me to think, Jason, that that God reaches out and he gets you and he gets Rick next to you. Y'all are different. And then he comes over and gets Chuck, who's a master builder, and puts him and, and he puts us all together. Even though our talents are different, our personalities are different, our gifts are different, God gets all of us with our different gifts and personalities and brings us together that we might share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the unity of the church brings about, or the the structure of the church brings about unity. Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation, and we are the living stones. And then there is unity because of service. In chapter 2, verse number 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Now, here he is making a comparison to the Old Testament priest. And the Old Testament priest had three basic distinctives. First of all, they had access to God. Secondly, they represented the people. Now, The prophet represented God to the people. The priest represented the people to God. So they spoke to God on behalf of the people, and then they offered sacrifices. But now then he says that as believers, we also are priests. If you are a believer, he says, then you are a priest. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means you have access to God. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the Bible says in Matthew 27, 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what that is speaking of is that the veil that is spoken uh, spoken of there was the veil that kept people out of the Holy of Holies. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifice. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was split from top to bottom signifying that now then you have access to God, that we are able to come before God. We are witnesses. We have access to God. We are witnesses of God. In fact, in the Latin, the word priest means bridge builder. And that's what we are to be. We are to build bridges so that people come to Christ. And then we offer sacrifices, he says, that are acceptable. I thought the days of sacrifice were over. What are the sacrifices you are to offer? Well... Let's see. Sacrifice of praise. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Do you think of praise in that way? When you're just praising the Lord, that it is a sacrifice that is being offered up to Him? That's what the Bible says. Sometimes when I'm by myself, I don't do it when I'm with others, but when I'm by myself, I just praise the Lord. I mean, I... I, 
I have a good time just praising the Lord, but that's a sacrifice to Him. Sacrifice of praise, our prayers. Psalm 141.12, May my prayer be counted as incense before Thee. The lifting up of my hands is the evening offering. So the Bible says then that we are to offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God, our praise and our prayer, our service. There's unity because of our service. And then there's unity because of our citizenship. In chapter 2, verse number 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Folks, we are citizens of God's kingdom. The Bible says that we are chosen, we are the chosen race. Israel was chosen not because they were great, but because God chose them, because He loved them. You have been chosen not because you're special, not because you're deserving, not because you're worthy, but because God loves you. The Bible says in Ephesians 1:4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So this is what He's saying about you. You're a chosen race. God chose you. He says that you're a royal priesthood. You've been given the right to approach God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, what that means is that we do not go through a human mediator to get to God. We don't need a priest. We don't need the saints. All we need is Jesus. It is Jesus who has opened the door so you have access to God because of Jesus. Your holy nation... Now, that means that you can't be like the rest of the world because you are holy. You're the people of God. You're different. He said, you're the people of God. Chapter 2, verse number 10. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see what he is saying there? That before Jesus, we were nobodies. I don't care what your status is in life. The Bible says before Jesus we were nobodies. Without mercy. We were on the road to hell before Jesus. We were nobodies on the road to hell. And then Jesus came into our hearts and we became citizens of his kingdom. That's what he says. You who were nobodies on the way to hell without mercy... We're saved by His marvelous grace, and now then, you're a part of His kingdom. So, in conclusion, unity. There is to be unity because we belong to the same family. God is my Father, and if He is your Father, we're brothers and sisters. That's one of the great joys to me when I go anywhere around the world. I'll always end up meeting Christians. Never known them before. Never seen them before. And it might be in Russia, it might be in Israel, wherever it is. And I meet a brother and a sister, and it thrills my heart that we have brothers and sisters all over the world. So there's unity because we belong to the same family. There's unity because we are living stones in His church. You have a purpose. There's unity because we are priests who speak the good news of God to mankind. There's unity because of our citizenship. He said, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God. That's the reason that there's to be harmony in the church. That's the reason there is to be unity in the church. What did he say there in chapter 1, verse 23? 
For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. You have been born again into the family of God. Have you been born again? Have you been born again into the family of God? If not, you can be by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Our Father in God, we come to you today and thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, we come to a time of invitation, and I pray for those who have never come to know Jesus that today they might be saved. I pray, Father, for those believers who need to make some sort of commitment today that they will do so. But, Lord, may we be obedient to you, our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we'll stand and sing a hymn of invitation. As we do, the opportunity is there for you to respond to the Lord. It's His invitation to you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. You come to join the church to trust Christ. I'll greet you as you do.